Chase Kitty on the High Motor Podcast, and it is Group of Five Day on the High Motor Podcast. We're talking here on Wednesday night. As of now, if I have my count correctly, 77 FBS teams are still in for a fall season. Of those 77, 38 teams in the Group of Five. The Mountain West is out. The MAC is out. UConn is out. UMass is out. And Old Dominion Conference USA is still moving forward, but Old Dominion is not, and honestly, we probably wouldn't even talk about those three teams today. We probably wouldn't have talked about most of the teams in the MAC today. So we're sitting here at 38, and this is going to be the Group of Five preview to end the conference preview series. Before we get into, we're going to talk here, New Year's Six, Dark Horses, Hot Seat, Irrelevancy, more stuff there. My question to you, sir, before we hop in here, assuming that all of this stays the same, which is a big, big assumption, but let's just say all these teams, that group of five teams that are in, stays the same. Is the group of five more or less relevant this fall than during a normal year, or the same? More or less or the same than versus a normal year? I kind of think it's both. I feel like going into the year, the magnifying glass is so clearly on the power five and who's going to play and who's not going to play and the fact that, you know, over a hundred non-power five division one football teams have already mothballed their season, I feel like nobody really talks about unless it's a person trying to make the case for why haven't we canceled the season yet? Okay. So I feel like going into September. Nobody cares about the G5 schools. Nobody cares about FCS. Nobody cares about anything but that top level thing. But once we get into the season, there's so much extra room and people are going to be so thirsty to watch football. I feel like there's going to be more G5 eyeballs. And then I really feel like, you know, we've talked so much on this podcast the last couple years about is there ever going to be a pathway for a top flight G5 school to get to the playoff? And you and I are both extremely skeptical of that happening. But if it was ever going to happen, isn't it this year where there's, you know, 40% of the Power Five is cleared out before the season even starts? And do we, are we really going to put Clemson and three SEC teams in the playoff? If there's an undefeated G5 team sitting there at the end and their resume is halfway decent, isn't this the year where it might possibly happen? So I feel like going into the season, to sort of wrap around here, going into the season, I don't know how many people are thinking about the G5. It's more about the top level stuff. But once we get into the actual football season, if football really does kick off and we have college football games, I feel like it's going to be magnified. The the reason I brought it up was mostly where does the G5 like sit in the national contention picture? And specifically that last piece you said, is this a year for it to happen if we do have a playoff? And just just to kind of give like 
context, big picture here stuff. For example, I have Cincinnati ranked as the highest uh, group of five team in my personal rankings. Pre-cancellations, they were 21. The teams ahead of them that have canceled their seasons, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan. So that's six. So that moves Cincinnati up to 15. Even at 15, you still have... I mean, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Florida, LSU, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, Auburn, and then kind of depending on where else you have different teams in there. So I agree. Like, they they did move up the order. And then maybe you're high on UCF or, or Memphis or SMU or somebody else. But Cincinnati, I think, is the best group of five teams. So they did move up the order. I don't think 15 is high enough where they're going to hop that many teams. And I get that the SEC is going to beat up on each other. I Even if somebody... With, with Notre Dame's inclusion in the ACC, even if somebody in the ACC were to be the champion with a one-loss team, I don't think that is going to do anything for Cincinnati. And then depending on what happens in the Big 12, let's say Oklahoma State and Oklahoma split, or like the, the champ is a two-loss team, I still don't see even moving up those six spots where a Cincinnati or a UCF could fit into that playoff. Do I agree that there's a better chance this year than most years? Sure, but I still think we're a long, long ways from that. Yeah, you need things to break your way if you're Cincinnati or you're whoever else, right? If you're if you're sitting there at the end of the year and you're ten and zero or whatever you're going to be at the end of this slightly abbreviated season, you're undefeated, and you have Clemson's got a ding. Maybe it's because of something virus related, but they they have a loss, and and Oklahoma State is a two loss champion of the Big Twelve. And everybody in the SEC has a loss and then something weird happens and the actual SEC champion is like a two-loss team and then you have like one-loss Alabama that lost the championship. Like you would need some weird stuff to happen. But even in the relatively short amount of time that we've had this playoff format, we have seen a couple years where things got a little weird. So I think all you really need is the hope and continued chaos that has at times already happened. And then you've already got other teams out of the way and maybe things break your way. And I think if you're a G5 team, that's kind of all you can ask for at this point. So I guess my answer to my own question, I think it's more relevant because like you said, there'll be more eyeballs on it. I think that there will also, I mean, people hate the SEC as is. I think there will be SEC overkill this year because there are so many teams in the ACC that nobody cares about. The bottom maybe 40%-ish of the Big 12, I would say most people don't care about. That's only leaving you a handful of teams where fans are actually interested in watching. There's going to be a lot of overkill for fans, and there's going to be more attention. If a Cincinnati is 8-0 come November, I think they're normally fans are going to push for G5 to be included. Same thing as mid-major upsets in the NCAA tournament, but I think there's going to be more attention to something like that. So I think it's more relevant in terms of the national conversation, the national narrative than before, but also there's the piece that does this season really matter? I think that we've crossed the line where this college football season is not real, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. Because of that, does it even matter that the group of five has a better chance at the playoff? Could this possibly spur expansion in the future? I don't know about all that stuff, but right now I think that it is probably more relevant uh, moving forward, anything on that, or do you want to jump into some preview stuff here? Yeah, I do have a couple comments on that. I think the first thing I would say is that the fatigue thing is very real. I think it's extreme. Like, say the Big 12 beats up on each other, and they're just kind of out of it. They're they're out of it by the end of October. You've got Clemson and three SEC teams basically left in the picture at that point. 
the amount of outcry about are we really going to have a playoff with Clemson and three SEC teams, I think you're going to have a, I mean, it's going to be UCF on steroids. The, the whole, like, let them play, put them in. And then I think where, where it circles around to your point about we've crossed the threshold into the fact that this season doesn't matter. Isn't that a point in the G5 team's favor? If people feel like this is some like pornographic doesn't count level season, like sure, if this is all one big exhibition that we're just playing out for our own entertainment, throw a G5 team in there. Who cares? Put them in. And if they play well and, and they sort of hold, they lose, but it's respectful. It, I think that's a huge, massive, I, I don't, I don't actually think you can overstate how much of an impact that would have going forward for future seasons. Because now you have a, I mean, the committee likes to talk about data points. How about having an actual playoff data point where a P5 program played a G5 program in a game that at least on paper, mattered toward a championship and Cincinnati loses by four, like that will be referenced forever. So yeah, I think it it could matter long-term, even if people look at this individual season, like it's sort of a sideshow. One other thing that you brought up, I think a few weeks back, we don't know what the playoff committee is going to do. I think that you said maybe they'll come up before the season and just say, we don't know how to handle if a team tests positive an entire position group test positive we're just going to treat that as tough luck or are they I mean they're not going to come out and say that but we don't know how this playoff committee is going to handle it are they going to give teams the benefit of the doubt like the NCAA tournament selection committee has said in the past that injuries do come into play if god forbid you know we always use we'll just say stick with the same uh, thing here we've always said if the entire Clemson offensive line is out what happens there and again, that's a bigger concern than football, though, but we don't know how the playoff committee is going to handle something like that. So if you were to have a two-loss champ Clemson or even like a three-loss Big 12 champ or a three-loss SEC champ, something like that, where they had a major breakout or a major outbreak or a quarterback was down, something like that, we don't know how the committee is going to handle it at all. So maybe that could play into kind of what you're talking about, where they're going to give some benefit of the doubt, make some decisions that they wouldn't normally make. And maybe one of those is hey, maybe we should just throw a G5 in here because we don't know uh, how else to handle this. All right, with these previews, we've been starting with the worst good team, but looking at this dark horse conversation, I kind of want to start there. Are you okay with that? Yeah. I think it's an interesting conversation to be had because with all the other conferences, we've just said who's a dark horse to either win the division, win the conference, or just simply be a lot better than we expect. And with the G5 here, we're going to do who's a dark horse to make a New Year's Six Bowl. We're not going to open up to all conferences because, quite frankly, I don't care who the dark horse is to win Conference USA. So we're going to say New Year's uh, Year Six Bowl. And without Boise State now, who I believe was the only true New Year's uh, Six contender from the 37 group of five teams who aren't playing, without Boise State, I think the New Year's Six favorites now are, like I mentioned, how, how high I am on UCF. I think it's UCF, or excuse me, how high I am on Cincinnati. I think it's UCF and Cincinnati they might be even the heavy, heavy favorites. So the Dark Horse crowd, in my opinion, is very open. Behind UCF and Cincinnati, uh, I have my personal rankings, Memphis, SMU, App State, Tulane, and Louisiana in that order. And for Dark Horse, I'm going to go with the last of those teams, Louisiana, because one big reason, they visit Iowa State 
in week two. A lot of these teams have lost out on opportunities to play big time or even notable opponents that get the attention of the committee. I don't think Iowa State's a big time opponent, but I do think they're a top 25 or a fringe top 25 team. And if they can go into, and I get that Jack Jack Trice Stadium won't be at its normal capacity, they won't get as much credit if they were to win that game in a normal season. But I think that gives Louisiana an advantage to go into there and get a win. And I don't think that, I think people are aware of how much better Iowa State has been. And I think that Louisiana would still get a lot of credit for winning that game. And it's always going to be hard for a Sun Belt team to make a New Year's Six Bowl. Last year was the first year that one of their teams even appeared in the playoff rankings, I believe. And talking about opt-out teams, we just did that with the G5, who was ahead of Cincinnati. There weren't a ton of opt-out teams ahead of them that were kind of cleared out of their past. So it's honestly not that much different than any other year. And it's, I don't know, it's really hard for me to see anyone outside the American claiming that spot especially with how high I am on Cincinnati without Boise State challenging I don't think it matters that much there so I'm going to take this opportunity to go a little bit deeper and say that Louisiana is the New Year's six dark horse what do you got I agree with your general like your hierarchy and how you've laid out these teams so I I think those are the obvious choices Uh, I'm going to go kind of way off the board here and I'm acknowledging at the start of this that this is I mean, this is maybe even a little past Dark Horse. Like, this is probably not going to happen for multiple reasons, one of which is it's really hard to envision a Conference USA team making the New Year's Six game. So I'm doing this under that caveat. I really like UAB this year. Oh, I almost picked them. We talked before the show if we had the same team. I was so close to putting UAB in it. Yeah, and and, I mean, we've talked before about Bill Clark and how much respect the two of us have for the job he's done down there. Uh, You know, that that deserves, it's probably not for us to do, but somebody really should do like a breakout podcast episode on just everything that went on down there and like tell the full story and put it in context. And that would be really cool. Uh, I would I would listen to that. I think UAB is going to be really good this year. Top 10 nationally in returning production from a team that already won a bunch of games last year. I think they are going to be sneaky good. I think the problem is what I already mentioned. They play in Conference USA, and there's just not a ton of really good opportunities to prove that you are a like real top 25 caliber team. And then... Your, as you said, your ability to create, I create noise for yourself, uh, catch eyeballs, like really do impressive things, is going to be severely hamstrung this year if you're a G5 team because you're limited and you're in your non-conference schedule. Now UAB does get to go play Miami, so that's not nothing. Uh, but I think with Miami, the interesting thing thing there is. It's almost a no-win situation for UAB because if they lose that game, then who cares? And if they win, it's almost like, well, here's Miami again. It's more about Miami than it is UAB, yeah. Exactly. As opposed to if Louisiana were to go to Iowa State, I think a lot of attention would be on Louisiana. But in your scenario, I think a lot more attention would be on Miami because they take so much heat from the media. Yes. Uh, So I, I do think the path is basically impossible right from the start. But, I mean, if you want to talk about a, a dark horse candidate, a really off-the-radar candidate, we know they're going to be good. I think they could go undefeated this year. I really think that highly of them and that less of just the greater Conference USA just sort of 
meat of that conference. I would not be at all surprised if they're undefeated. They win their conference uh, game, and they're kind of there at the end. I think, like some of the other things we talked about, they need a couple things maybe to break their way to even be in the conversation. But I think if, if you have UAB sitting there at the end of the season and they're even being mentioned as a candidate, uh, I think that's a huge win for them. I didn't pick them because even if they were to go undefeated, and we don't know their full schedule yet. I mean, Conference USA approved that uh, 8 plus 4 plan a couple weeks ago. And not all the teams have even finalized their schedule. So we don't know. Maybe, right. they, maybe they could add another opponent. Maybe things can get switched around. But you're right. I mean, UTEP, Southern Miss, North Texas, Western Kentucky, Louisiana Tech, Rice, UTSA, who else? South Alabama, New Mexico State. Th- those games are going to do nothing for anybody on the committee, even if you're like higher on Western Kentucky than most. And maybe if you want to say they're like a top 50 or top 60 team, that's going to do nothing for them. So we'll see right. what happens when the schedule is released. Even if they go undefeated with the current schedule they have, and let's just like throw them a bone and say somehow they schedule a high-level G5 team or even pull a Power 5 team out of their ass somehow, I don't see how that could be above a one or even a two-loss Cincinnati or a one or a two-loss UCF or Memphis. It's really hard to see the American champion having more than two losses, and I think a two-loss American champ would still honestly, maybe be comfortably ahead of UAB. I like where you're coming from. I don't think that somehow people don't realize like what Bill Clark is doing. Over two years later, we still don't. I don't even know if we understand, and we talk about him all the time, what he's done with UAB. So I like that the call that UAB is going to be better than expected because people still don't understand how good they are. What other teams did you consider here? Uh, I looked at Georgia Southern a little bit. Uh, I was I was curious. I know a couple. They've had a, a few seasons now where App State and Georgia Southern have, have kind of been one A, one B there in, in the Sun Belt. And I know they they took a step back last year. And I wondered if maybe they would sort of reinsert themselves into the top of that conference. Uh, maybe if they if they you know the the one thing that Georgia Southern could get uh, that UAB probably could not is if they beat App State. That would be a pretty nice high profile win. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I looked at them a little bit. I, I looked at all the American teams. I looked at Houston, uh, four and eight last year. Uh, but you know they have a coach that can at least win some games. Uh, I'm just that's all I'm going to say about Dana. And I, they bring back a lot this year. So if, if they know what they're doing at quarterback, then at least I think they have a shot at, at sort of jumping out in, in Dana's second year. Uh, so there were there were some options there, but I just I really like you know if, if Tyler Johnson can stay healthy and look around the rest of that conference. I don't think anybody's really going to challenge them. Kiffin's gone. Louisiana Tech loses a lot. So I, I just, I think UAB was the answer, even though they have massive conference and perception issues. Uh, I, I think they were the right answer for that question, even if the stats and the actual probability of them making the game are probably pretty low. All right, let's go to worst good team here. And the reason why I want to start with Dark Horse is because I feel like these conversations might overlap a little bit. And I thought Dark Horse could have been uh, more interesting than this, but I'm going to stick to the neighborhood where we've put the other worst good teams, starting with TCU in our first preview in the Big 12. And in that neighborhood, that, that rankings group of teams there, I have Memphis, SMU, App State, Tulane, and Louisiana, that same group that I just mentioned, and then Navy and Temple uh, back-to-back right after Louisiana because I have those teams grouped so closely, literally consecutively, Tulane, Louisiana, Navy and Temple in four consecutive spots. I don't see enough drop-off in that group to say the worst good team line 
is like in the middle of those four. I'm not going to say Louis, Louisiana is the worst good team and then immediately draw that line before I get to Temple. Sure. I have a hard time doing that. So I'm going to put it at the very bottom. I don't even have that big of a drop-off um, after Temple to the next G5 teams. I'm still going to put it at the bottom of those four with Temple. There is some concern about returning productions, but they were still a really underrated team last year that kind of got overshadowed in part because of the Memphis debacle. They didn't really deserve that win because of the, the officiating debacle. They were still right there with Memphis. They were still right there with Cincinnati. I understand if you want to play the card that they didn't even look like they were in the same neighborhood as UCF. I totally get that argument, but I still think in their 11 other games that Temple proved that they're a really, really good team. I think that that's the bottom for the worst good group of five teams this year. I was looking at Western Kentucky. How do you feel about that? I am having a bitch of a time getting a read on the Conference USA this year. I don't un- I don't know what to do with the top half of Conference USA. I- Maybe I just feel burned by from North Texas last year because I was so high on North Texas and they just completely shit the bed that I don't know how it's all going to shake out. Are- do you just feel like you're higher on Western Kentucky than most, or do you see a drop-off after them? Let me tell you how I answered this question. I felt like the only way to start when we're lumping all these G5 teams together, unlike the other ones where it's contained to one conference, mm-hmm. I felt like I had to start with the Sagarin rankings. So I went back to last year's rankings and I started looking around at where different G5 programs were grouped. So it, when you're in the 70s, you have Houston, Western Kentucky, Buffalo, Temple, Tulsa, Louisiana Tech. Temple was in the 70s? Temple was in the 70s. Yeah. Wow, that seems low. And I felt like that's probably a, the right neighborhood to draw the line for what we're talking about. And I mentioned that Louisiana Tech's losing a lot. Uh, I, I agree with you about Temple. I thought you nailed that. Uh, so I, I think they're I think they're a solid team. Buffalo, Houston, I think you make cases that they'll be pretty decent this year. And I think Western Kentucky being in Conference USA and being a semi-consistent 8-4 and four kind of team in a conference that's kind of eh, like that felt like a good place to draw the line. So I actually don't think we're in that terribly different of spots. I just picked a different mascot. The only issue I have there is I don't think it's consistent with where we – I think Western Kentucky is on the kind of like Texas Tech neighborhood, like a little bit below West Virginia. And we both agreed that the line for worst good team was kind of above that for the Big 12. We've just kind of stayed with that neighborhood. So I think Western Kentucky is on the bottom end of where Texas Tech is. And if I'm not considering Texas Tech to be a good team, I have a really hard time saying that Western Kentucky is going to be a good team. I mean, oddly, looking at my rankings before cancellations, I had Western Kentucky 73. They were actually at the very top of a tier that above them there was a massive gap. It's like with all these, I had Nevada, Wyoming, Utah State all grouped together in the 60s. They're obviously gone and Air Force is gone. So behind Houston at 59, I have this gigantic gap now where these Mountain West teams used to be. And then Western Kentucky kind of starts this new group that also includes Marshall, Toledo, Buffalo, Arkansas State. To me, that's more mediocrity or like good mediocrity than worst good team. Yeah, I think I disagree with you a little bit on where they're going to be this year. Uh, this is a team that is was 9-4 and four last year and brings back a, a pretty solid amount. So 
I think they'll be pretty. I think they'll be decent this year. I, I'm comfortable putting them in the in that last good team range where uh, where we've been doing this the last few episodes where it's sort of like, hey, this is the last decent train out of town. And then beyond this is going to be a whole lot of crap that you don't care about. What do you think that Western Kentucky would do in the American? Because I think that they're they're pretty noticeably behind Tulane, Navy, Temple, that group, and a little bit behind Houston, like I mentioned. Do you think Western Kentucky... Not, I don't. I don't want to say competes for the American because I think that even though we have a little bit different opinions on on Cincinnati and UCF, it seems like they're not even anywhere near that ballpark. But do you think Western Kentucky and in, in let's say this is a normal season, this Western Kentucky team, do you think they can go eight and four, nine and three in the American, or is that asking too much? Um, I think this year they could have like an eight and four kind of season because I think mm-hmm. they're going to be good this year. Yeah. I think they could. Interesting. Now, am I seeing that every year? No. But I think this year, yeah. I think they could be a solid, like, number four team in the American. All right. Let's move on to irrelevancy here. We... I mean, we kind of already had this conversation for Group of Five Irrelevancy. We went through our college football neighborhood series, and we essentially defined that saying UTEP, New Mexico State... UConn and UMass, if we actually want to break this down farther, I don't think that UConn is as irrelevant as as those other teams. I think they've built up some stock with the bizarre clauses in Randy Etzel's contract. We've all seen them plummet from where they were when they went to the Orange Bowl. I think that people, it's kind of like the Kansas factor that we've referenced a few times. People, so many people realize that UConn football is a joke that I think we talk about enough to make them more relevant than the other three, leaving UTEP, New Mexico State, and UMass. And quite honestly, I don't really give a shit. I don't know which team is the most irrelevant out of those three. Uh, I have a pretty hard opinion on this, which is that it's UMass. Uh, So there's more than one reason why, but I think it all kind of combines together. They're terrible. They've been terrible. They have no path to not be terrible. And they're in a part of the country where nobody really even cares if you're terrible. So at least the thing you could say about UTEP or like other programs in the South is there is a conceivable future where UTEP is like five and seven and is not absolute dog shit. Uh, I don't, I don't really see that for UMass. I mean, that, that it's a program that in hindsight I mean, why did you leave FCS? Like, you were in the spot where you were supposed to be. You, there's there's not going to be, like, some New England college football revolution. So, I think it's UMass, and I just think they have so many forces against them that there is no possible way for them to ever really be consistently good. What's your take on that big picture stuff? As somebody that lives more in the FCS crowd than I do, do you think that some of these teams will drop down i know there's not a whole that many candidates to do that but do you think that this financial crisis would drop a umass down would drop i mean uconn's a little bit different with the whole big east transition they've already said they're not going to but that was pre-virus could you see a scenario in which these teams do drop down because of this it's a really hard question to answer just because so much of it is financial and i know that even when you go to like a not great g5 conference I'm pretty sure your conference money that you're getting is better than if you were in like a premier FCS conference. So 
as I mean, the, the, the college foot, the people that have the checkbooks in college football are just fiends for this stuff. And as soon as you're getting that, that bigger TV money, that bigger conference money, you start spending it, you find ways to spend it and you're never going to decide, Hey, let's, let's find a way to cut all of the things we already started buying. That's, that does not happen. So it feels to me like almost like once you're there, you're there. I mean, I feel like that's what's behind UConn's decision. Like, hey, they, I mean, they've came out and stated we are not going back to FCS. Well, what's the reason not to at this point? Your program is terrible. You have no profile. You are a joke. Like the all of college football is laughing at you. The only thing that kind of saves you is the fact that you're semi-near Rutgers and and they might be an even bigger like flare heat seeking missile disposal system than you are so it's it's just I don't know what the reason to stay is except for the fact that you're getting American conference money and you're never going to get that if you go down to say the Colonial Athletic Association so the only thing I can imagine for these teams is if there's some sort of restructuring where it's not that teams are going to go back to FCS, but there's a complete shift in the landscape and we end up in a spot where teams that were FCS are now mixed in with UConn and UMass. And I don't know what that would look like. That's probably some sort of completely new system. Uh, but that's, that's really the only thing that I can imagine because I can't, I mean, UConn's been pretty clear about this. Hey, we're here and we're not going anywhere and we don't care that we suck. <laughs> we're not going to make any promises that we're going to get better. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't we know. got into, we kind of touched on conference realignment a couple of weeks ago. I think it was last week when we were, we took a break from this conference preview series. We're very curious to see how this could spur another wave of conference realignment because it sure feels like it's been coming for several years now in the media rights deals are starting to expire here pretty soon. It'll be interesting how much the virus plays into this if that makes teams makes makes teams want to leave or conferences poach other teams or if maybe they're a little bit more conservative without a more firm financial future. It'll be really interesting to, to see how that shakes out. All right, I mentioned Randy Etzel. Uh, I think he should be on the hot seat, but I don't really want to talk about Randy Etzel here for the hot seat. And usually we're doing this with small conferences, uh, we're only picking between really a handful of guys that could be on the hot seat. This is wide open here. I think Randy Etzel probably is and should be on the hot seat, but I don't really want to talk about UConn anymore. I'm going to keep it to two other names here, uh, starting with Steve Adazio at Colorado State. If these reports are true about everything that's come out, allegations within the Colorado State program, I think he's 100% gone. They have enough time here now that Colorado State isn't playing the fall season to investigate this, to look at this. If these allegations are true, he's 100% gone. I think this time they actually make a good hire. Adazio was a shit hire. I think they go after the guy that should have had the job before, Tony Alford, Ohio State assistant, CSU grad. He was considered the obvious choice by a lot of insiders and people that had knowledge of that search before it happened, and they went with Urban Meyer's boy, Steve Adazio. So I think Adazio will be gone uh, if the allegations are true, who do you got? I have nobody. I you think have nobody. Be, I, now, Adazio goes into kind of a separate category. So let's set him aside for a second. I think there will be no G5 firings. None. So you don't even Zero. see, like, like the other name I have down here is Dana Dimel of, of uh, UTEP. He's gone 1-11 back-to-back seasons. If he goes 1-11 again, 
you don't think that they'll be in a position to fire him. I think his buyout is $1.4 million after this year. So you just think the financial issues are going to cause these G5 programs to hang on to everybody. I think that's part of it. And I think the other part is something we've talked about several times at this point. How bad does it have to be for you to get fired in the middle of the pandemic? It almost when has you, to be an awful you have problem. The, exactly. Like Adazio. Exactly. Yeah. You have to be such a like train wreck for people to go, we don't care about the optics. We don't care about giving you the benefit of the doubt. You almost have to have like you're endangering kids or something at that point. So I feel like because it's G5 and because the stakes are lower, I just think everybody's going to get a pass. And even looking at the bottom of, of the teams that I have ranked in the G5, like, I mean, Liberty's not making a coaching change. Coastal Carolina isn't. Texas State definitely isn't. UTSA has a new coach. Even like looking at Steve Campbell at South Alabama, they're probably not going to make a change. None of these programs in these schools are on good financial footing anymore. And it's hard to pluck out even from the bad teams. Like FIU is not going to fire Butch Davis. Rice isn't going anywhere yet. Uh, Louisiana Monroe, they're not going to fire. Uh, Georgia State's not going to make a change. All these teams that are like in the bottom 10 that could have really bad seasons, it's it's hard to see them making a change in a normal year. That's why only Steve Adazio, he sticks out because of off-the-field problems, and then Dana Dimel at UTEP just because how bad it's been. But I totally see your argument. I mean, I don't even know how many jobs are going to change in the in P5. I, do you think that teams will fire a coach after a spring season then? Like, would it have to be so, so bad for them to fire a coach? Let's say that the season ends sometime in April and then hire a new coach and they only have three and a half, four months to prepare. That that scenario seems highly unlikely, too, because you're essentially just saying we're not even going to give a shit about 2021 because we're going to be so bad. The new coach is only going to have three and a half months. I mean, there could be no coaching changes in the Big Ten or the Pac-12. And then maybe we get one or two in the Power Five. And if you're right about G5, we can only have one or two total coaching changes in, the, in a sport in which we see between like 20 and 30 every single season. They're not going to fire a coach in April, are they? I would think not for the reasons you just outlined. Doesn't that mean, though, that come spring of like 2022, winter of 2022, after the next fall season... Just Massive absolute carnage, bloodbath. Same college basketball too. I think we only saw like fifteen or sixteen, and there's usually like fifty. I mean, we're, we could see thirty to forty coaches fired in the FBS, and seventy-five to hundred in college basketball next year. That's I really feel that. So, at, speaking as an alumnus of one of the few, the proud. Division one basketball programs that fired their coach this past season. Uh, I feel like JMU made the last good college basketball hire for like two years. Yeah, probably. I'm I'm pretty excited about that for but, a program like that to get a, a semi-established head coach. I can't believe we're talking about JMU basketball. Here. Mark Byington, what's up? What are we doing? Where is the group of five in three years? Is this conver- Is this question we've been asking this for every single conference? Is this question? solely based on where is the playoff in three years. If we don't have a, an expanded playoff in three years, is the group of five just in the same exact position that they're in right now? I think the easy answer is yes. Let me yeah. answer your question with a question. If I asked you to rank the G5 conferences right now, not the ones that are playing this fall, all of them, 
How would you rank them? American Mountain West. I would. I I don't know. I think Sunbelt is dependent on some coaching decisions of how long they can hang on to like Billy Napier, if App State can keep rolling. I think I would probably put Sunbelt ahead because I like the higher end teams, App State, Louisiana, above anything that Conference USA has moving forward, even though I like Bill Clark a lot. Yeah, I'd probably say American, Mountain West, Sunbelt, Conference USA, MAC. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this going into this episode. And, I mean, it wasn't five years ago where the Sun Belt was like the football conference punchline, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. were dead last in every ranking, every year, total joke. There is a real case to make, I think, that the Sun Belt is the second best G5 conference. Because the gap between Boise and then whatever, you I mean, especially with San Diego State making the change, Fresno State dropping off a little bit, we'll see what happens at Utah State and Air Force and all that. So because of the drop-off, going from a perennial top 20 team in Boise State to really nobody else. And San Diego State. I, I don't even, like, I think, I don't have my personal rankings pull up anymore, but I don't think I had anybody in the top 50 outside of Boise State in the Mountain West, whereas you have App State and Louisiana, who I don't even think are that much farther behind where Boise State was. Yeah, and I mean, it's, this the is depth like, isn't there. This the is depth the is not ultimate there. moment to make this argument, too, because when you look right. at the Mountain West, like the the brain drain that's going on with the coaches, they had. I don't think I realized this until right now. The Mountain West had four ten win teams last season. Did you realize that? They have. I mean, that's how it's been for a long time. Four? They don't not have four. No, 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 not four. But they have more depth than people realize. I think. And even this year, they they would have had that. Like they had a cluster of teams like in in the fifties. They would have had some depth this year, not as high as it was last year. But with the coaching changes, I don't know if I I don't see the depth in the Sun Belt. In the, I, I the don't lower, either. I'm agreeing with you. But yeah, the lower end of the Mountain West is far far better than the lower end of the Sun Belt. Lower so, end of the Sun Belt is. It's awful. funny you mention that because I I wanted some data to sort of you know whenever I have thoughts like this, my immediate reaction is okay. Is are you just thinking this, or is there actual like proof to back up what you're thinking? So I went and I looked at some numbers. So I looked at the the total um, like breadth of each G5 conference in terms of what their best team was in the Sagarin rankings and what their worst team was. And obviously the Sagarin rankings are not a perfect way to evaluate this. There is no perfect way to evaluate it, but it gives you it gives you just so, some reference points. Uh, the American, their best team was ranked 23rd. Their worst team was ranked 180. Okay, so that's that's a that's sort of like your test group, right? Uh, I'll give you one more test group. The Big Ten was two to 135, and Rutgers was the only team that was under 100. So really, better conference than that. More like two to. Who 90. was the lowest American? Was it South Florida? It Tulsa? was who was East Carolina and UConn were both. Oh, right, because UConn was still there. Yep. Right. Okay. So, But if you take those two programs out, the American doesn't have any teams beyond 100. Uh, right. So the Sun Belt, very similar to the American, 25 to 158. The Mountain West, 29 to 157. So they're almost identical. Were there any clusters that you could compare within that, or did you, did you not write that down? Uh, I didn't write it down, but there were clusters, and the Mountain West 
had like a higher cluster than the Sun Belt did. The, the Mountain West really clustered in like the 80s and 90s. And then the Sun Belt had big clusters right outside the top 100. Like one, 100 to 110 was like a ton of Sun Belt teams and then maybe a couple FCS teams. So is it the same comparison as I think we've talked about before the American versus the Pac 12? How we usually agree, you're not as high on Oregon this year, but you are higher on USC. So maybe you still agree that. The Pac-12 has the edge in the high end, and they have the edge in the very, very low end. Right. But in the middle, the American was better last year, not even the middle, like just below the very, very top team, two through like 10. The American was better last year. They're probably better this year, and they probably would be better again next year. So it's almost the same comparison with the Sun Belt and Mountain West, where depending on how you feel about Boise versus App State and Louisiana, there's no doubt that Mountain West has the better low-end teams. But looking at, like, App State and Louisiana down through, I mean, even like Georgia Southern, you mentioned them, or Troy, maybe if they bounce back, there's a lot to love in the Sun Belt until you kind of get down to the Texas States and in South Alabama and Coastal Carolina? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I thought so too. And and like I said, the, the Mountain West is coming off a really high point. They, they just had four 10-win seasons. And I thought the Sun Belt kind of had a terrible year last year. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like they're they're going to move closer to each other, and they were already pretty close. Like I said, last team in the Sun Belt, last team in the Mountain West, they are next to each other in last year's final Sagan ranking. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like the Sun Belt five years ago, we all would have agreed, worst conference in FBS football. And now you can make an interesting case. It's not a slam dunk. But they are sort of like a the 2B conference. I think the American clearly has it. Uh, but and I, and I don't know that there's any debate about that. But I, I think there's some real interesting stuff going on there with the Sun Belt and the Mountain West. And I think they're conferences to watch. I think to circle back to our broader question, which is where are these conferences going in the, in the next couple of months or next couple of years? I had this thought the other day as well. The The... We've all seen the American conferences, like little PR commercials, like a true power six conference. And we all kind of, right. We all kind of snicker at that. But at what point are they really dumb commercials, but also maybe have a little bit of a point? Because we were just talking about when you look at the Pac-12 and you look at the American, you got to, you got to take a couple of data points out to make them even, but you can make them even relatively easy. And it feels like they're one big, one big move, one big win, one playoff berth away from really kind of deserving that recognition, even though we all find the commercials to be so stupid and transparently manipulative. But I don't know if it's going to get that much better for the case of the American versus the Pac-12. Because I'm high on Oregon and Mario Cristobal moving forward. I think USC will make a good hire after Clay Helton. You would think that Utah stays right there and some of their other teams get some more stability. We'll see what happens to your boy Jimmy Lake at Washington. But I don't know if the American can get that much better. Like Luke Fickle is going to leave at some point. And yes, they have stability and UCF has stability and Houston is generally in that 8-10 to 10 win ballpark. But I don't know how much better the American can get. Maybe that, I mean, what's the ceiling there? Having a team like Boise State, who's consistently in the top 12 to 18 every year. I mean, that's kind of feels like their ceiling. 
So I think that the Pac-12 ceiling is noticeably higher probably now, and it's really hard. I mean, they're still a power power five conference. They have sucked. They haven't had the high end teams. They haven't had the middle teams, but they're still a power five conference that is going to be the fifth best conference most years. We've had an exception the last two years and maybe next year, but I still think that the ceiling for the American has kind of been reached. So I don't know how much higher they can go on that. I think the seal. I think that's a fair answer. I think the ceiling thing is is the difference. If you look yeah. at the best teams in the Power Five conferences, they are solid top eight teams. And you mm-hmm. can't say that about the American every year. And you can make the case you can't say about it them ever. So I don't want to piss off the UCF people, but I mean, it is what it is. I, but I do think that's the path toward them getting that kind of respect is some team, I don't know if it's UCF or somebody else, but some team that is so consistently good that it is impossible to deny they're a top 10 kind of program and that's what Boise State did in the first decade of the last 20 years they were so good for so many years that you had to concede what they were I just don't know if if somebody else can do that and I think that's their big problem right now uh and those commercials which they have got to do something else because we're just we're just laughing at them all right that wraps up our preview series we're now what, two, two and a half weeks out until the season starts. Between now and then, we'll probably do a full predictions episode where we're going to rattle off dozens of random predictions. I also want to talk about some betting stuff because there are some odds and win totals being released for the revised schedules. Chase is your guy for that, at Chase A. Kitty on Twitter, if you have any betting questions anytime. Thanks for checking out the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's name. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between